the Sunday Morning Linux Review with Mary Tomich, Tom Lawrence, and Tony Bemis as the Beaver. Welcome to episode 277. Microsoft has bought GitHub, so it's a catastrophe. So we're going to do a fresh looks episode on this. And I'm here with uh, Phil. Hi, everybody. And this is Tom Lawrence, and we got Phil over here. And we are doing, actually, we'll tell you a secret here. It's actually Saturday night, but we're still going to call it the Sunday Morning Linux Review. <laughs> it's an early Sunday morning. It's an early Sunday Morning Linux Review. Uh, Sunday Morning Linux Review with some brew, which means it happens on Saturday night. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just got a beer in our hand. Uh, but things have conspired against the recording, trying to get us all in the same room at the same time. We, uh, Tony's overseas, and uh, we'll talk about that when he gets back on a on regular schedule. And uh, Mary's been busy, too. So, like I said, we and Phil figured, all right, let's just cover get because there's a lot of confusion there's a lot of things going on what does it mean is the sky falling is it the end of all the things we want to clear up uh what we do know we know a lot i think <laughs> we're going to talk about a lot <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about what git is uh what is github should you be worried uh some logistics of github uh some fears and how you can help open source projects because open source is still going to march on forward and uh, we want to talk about ways that can be helped and uh, ways github affects that so we will jump into it right here i also will comment if you haven't heard it and i know it did have microsoft in the title episode 256 was microsoft gets git who knows? Who knew that would be the precursor to them actually buying GitHub? But that was about them getting GitHub. It's an interesting episode because we talk about some of the insides of people working at Microsoft and how they started using GitHub internally. Um, so this is not about that specifically. This is just jumping into now they bought it, but what does what is Git? And that's where we're going to start. So, what is Git, Phil? So. Um Git is a version control system for tracking changes in computer files. I pulled that directly off of Wikipedia because they explained it better than I ever could. Um, Git was created by uh, Linus Torvalds in 2005 for development of the Linux kernel. Um, as of 2005, it's maintained by a Google engineer named Junio Hamano, and uh, it takes uh, con con contributions from... Uh, many people around the globe. And what did we do before Git? Before Git, we had to use disgusting tools such as SVN, yes, uh, also known as Subversion or CVS. Oh yes, and um, <laughs> we we named files .dot text .dot back .dot final .dot final final <laughs> and. It Things like that. And there was a lot of self-loathing going around. Those, tool, those <laughs> tools were not good. I could never get into, you know, I've always been an open source fan, but I really, I tried SVN. I was like, this is, I'm very lost. <laughs> if there's one thing that I've done more in my life than anything else, it's it's migrate subversion repositories and mercurial repositories over to Git repos. Yes. Now, please note, we, Git is open source. Linus, as if contributing the to the open source world by developing the Linux kernel wasn't enough for this guy. You know, he had a weekend project called I'm going to invent a new protocol because SVN is horrible. <laughs> and, uh, so we have Git. And GitHub is something different. Git is an open source protocol for doing code. GitHub is a company that uses the Git protocol to host all the code. Yes. Uh, GitHub sets up Git, a Git server. Um and they host that for you. So you don't have to worry about backups. You don't have to worry about um, 
uh, disaster recovery plans of your code, your code is there and available to you. Yes. And that's a, it's an important distinction. So um, Git allows very simply so I can, you know, I first I do a Git pull. So I pull all the code down to my computer and maybe I want to make some changes to it because I'm like, okay, I want to modify this thing and then I can do a Git push back up there. And Git does allow for hosting your own repository. So me and Phil could, uh, for example, share a repository together where I pull code back and forth, I make changes to it, I push it back, and it logs and tracks all those changes. Or, you know, with many of these open source projects, they're very big, so there's sometimes a lot of developers working on there. Yes. Um, these uh, GitHub primarily, they, they host these Git repos, but they also provide all of these uh, extra features, such as an issue tracker, a a wiki, which is just a bunch of markdown files that you can point to. Um, they also offer GitHub pages, which is a uh, essentially a free website for, for anybody. Now, you can host, just like Tom was saying, you can host your own Git server, and then Tom can push code to my server via um, port 80, port 443, which you should be doing, yeah. or over SSH. Um, you don't have to have a, a fancy uh, web interface such as GitHub. Um, you can just use your standard command line tools. Yeah, and it's it's a really easy way to do things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be complicated code or compiled code. That's true. Yeah, um, I even have my dot files on there for just how I do my own config on my computer. So like my, how my bash shell looks is on there. And anytime I modify my bash shell, I just get push it back to where, uh, back to my uh, GitHub. Now, like I said, prior to GitHub, and they just became a the a great system because they they kind of put it together right. And this will kind of make them you know so they were startup in Silicon Valley. I think they started right around two thousand nine or ten. They've been around for actually quite a while. When when I first got into system administration, um, I believe they were starting to take off. Yeah, and they um, because they had all the tools lined up kind of in the right way that took off very fast and it became uh, a place where over 70 million developers currently hang out. You know, it's kind of Facebook for developers. It's a social platform as well as a code repository. They, they thought about it. They definitely thought about it from the end user's perspective, especially those who aren't um, as skilled in uh, technology. Um, you can, you can make all of the complicated changes and amend amendments to files that you used to have to, remember the command line tools to do, but you could do it just at the push of a mouse button right in your browser. And yeah. that is really super useful. Yeah, and making it easier for people because not everyone, myself, uh, Phil does a lot of uh, coding. I do a little bit of scripting, but no actual coding. Um, but this has allowed me, even for projects I work with for tools we use here at my company, um, and I was, before the show, me and Phil were talking about, like Invoice Ninja is a popular open source uh invoicing platform. And because I can both see the code, I can communicate with the developers, and I can use GitHub to make suggestions, code improvements, and changes, it becomes a very easy way for me to help contribute back to the open source uh, project that I'm using, which is great because, I mean, I before I would just always download it. I'm like, okay, cool, but now what? You know, how can I get something back? Like I found a bug or I found a feature that I think would be very helpful to the community. How do I submit that back? And GitHub has been like the glue that pulls all it together. So that's why it's such a popular product. Now, we've kind of described a lot about what GitHub is here. Now, the 
a little bit back on the Git protocol itself. Now, anyone can actually use the Git protocol. And there's also other companies out there, such as like GitLab is another popular one. Yes, um, there, uh, these would be GitHub alternatives at this point. Yeah. Um, they host the Git server for you. Yeah, so we're talking about GitHub a lot, but there is other companies out there. Now, should you be worried because Microsoft bought them? That is a big question we have on here. Does that mean that Microsoft owns my code now? No. If I copied your code onto the USB, I don't own your code. Now, the licenses are still in place. And this is where whether you uh, hate or love Microsoft or you're really into Linux, this is something that drove me a lot nuts. And I've argued against some of the community. You can dislike Microsoft. I get it. There's a lot of reasons to dislike Microsoft. They've done a lot of horrible things. And we were actually joking whether or not we play that. Uh, just Google this for you. Google uh, Bill Gates buys out Homer's company. <laughs> oh, it's, that's one of my favorite Simpsons episodes. It's such a great Simpsons episode um, because, you know, how Microsoft buys them out, they just just destroy things and we, we we won't play that for you i even feel like well how can we get this interpret properly into the podcast <laughs> um and there's also another person and i haven't read through it enough but we just had a, a brief discussion about someone who also claims even though it was open source microsoft copied some of their code that happened and that code copy problem happened prior to the purchase of github GitHub doesn't change anything in terms of that. That's not where the problem lies. Your code is under whatever license you put under. And please put it under some license. Don't just post it. <laughs> yes. If if you put your code onto a Git server with without specifying a license, then it's it doesn't have a license. Please always specify the license. Yeah. And there's a couple different tools you can find. There's you, If you just Google which license should I use, whether it's uh, the GPL license, the MIT license, the Apache license, whichever one it is, that's uh, – boy, we could probably have an entire episode on licensing, but not only any of us are knowledgeable enough to make the correct decision on this, but – do some research on there and at least pick one of them and see there's a, there's a couple and we've actually covered this a couple of times a couple of websites if you google it it'll like they have some generic outlines of what the licenses do how permissive they are and things like that so you can get a general idea but at least put some license on there so you have a standing a leg to stand on if someone were to copy your code and not give you attribution for it um, but that being said when Microsoft bought GitHub yes they bought this massive system that is GitHub, but that does not automatically give them rights to the code. I mean, oh, there's at least a few people who I've seen complain, well, now they can peek at the private repositories because GitHub's monetization model is, yeah, you can host this project for free, but if you want to do something uh, like a private GitHub where I have code that I don't want publicly shared, you can buy a private Git on there. You can pri buy private repositories. And so now there's some fear that, oh, no, Microsoft can see my private repositories. Now, we're talking like big companies use this, Google and Microsoft included. Microsoft develops the Microsoft kernel on there as well. That's some of the talk we had in episode 256 is the kernel developments done, done on there. They did that prior to buying GitHub. So there's a level of trust companies have to maintain or they will lose all credibility in the market if they do not do that. That sounds just like system administration, just because uh, we have the power to go view all of these different files doesn't mean that we actually should. Right. And the uh, Microsoft has tons of companies proprietary files. They host their own government cloud servers and things like that. Trustworthiness regarding peeking at data that they retain, they have a reputation of not doing that. <laughs> reputation of doing other horrible things like destroying Skype and all that? Sure. <laughs> um, one of the stats that we found um, 
is that over 50% of Fortune 50 companies are using uh, the paid version of GitHub, yes. meaning they pay for these private repositories. Yeah. These are Fortune 50 companies. Yeah. So all the, there's a major company base using it right now. Um, and that being said, any company, even if they move to a separate company besides GitHub, there's a level of trust they have to have. GitHub being big, their reputation means everything. The value and the price Microsoft paid for them is because of their reputation. And Microsoft themselves, for all the reasons you can find not to like them, one of them isn't them going through people's uh, private emails or private uh, data and exfiltrating it for their own personal gain. They generally just destroy companies completely in the, in the wide open. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they certainly don't need to do it privately. That being said, money is a big issue here. And GitHub, unfortunately, um, they're not publicly traded, but they have released in 2016 some statistics. And one of them was they, were, they lost $66 million in just a a series of nine months. So let's extrapolate that out that they were losing roughly $80 million a year. We don't have their 2017 numbers because they don't publish them. But you're talking about a company that was, you know, in typical, and we had our own uh, rants about this, about how the world works in the uh, VC venture capitalist world of Silicon Valley of, we're not actually going to make a product. We're just going to take a bunch of money from venture capitalists. We're going to get a bunch of users. And then one of the other big companies will actually buy us. And that's how the venture capitalists will get paid back. Like that's a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to actually build a business. We're just going to get big enough to be bought. <laughs> um, and we don't know exactly what it was in the hearts and minds of the people that found a GitHub. But we do know companies can only lose money for so long, unless your name is Snapchat. Then I'm shocked that they've been able to lose money as long as they have. <laughs> but either way, the, the rope runs out. The venture capitals go, you know, I might want to get some return on this uh, investment we made. And... That's where this comes in. GitHub would have had either if no if no buyers were for GitHub, they could have folded, which would leave seventy million people where. Where does that leave us? Uh, or they can sell out. Now, uh, worst case scenario, Oracle buys them, and that was... oh geez, I think that would I think that's like a dystopian, super dystopian future. Yes. like that is the dystopian future that dystopian futures don't want to have happen. No, no one likes Larry Ellison. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> I mean, just the guy, he could be one of the most hated people in Silicon Valley. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's a poll on this. But it, look, the guy who made Java is not real popular. We'll just say that. So, um, so it could be also a protection move for Microsoft buying it because Microsoft is shifting their business model because companies aren't developing new, new products for the Windows platform. People are developing cloud applications, and Microsoft's very aware of that. So they're, they're banking on the future being that you're going to host whatever magic you loaded up to get you're going to host it on their servers. You're going to buy server space from them. These servers being the Azure cloud, correct? The Azure cloud. And let's talk about a little bit of the numbers. I think Phil had a quick stat he pulled up on just how much it might cost uh, to run some of these servers. Um, based on an article that Tom had found earlier this week from the Linux Foundation, there are at least 70 million uh, Git repositories hosted on GitHub. Now, we wanted to see how much space that consumes just having empty uh, repositories hosted at GitHub. So what I did was I made I made a new directory. Um, I changed into it. I ran a git in it to create an empty git repository. Then I did a du-sh, and that showed me the number 228 kilobytes. So assuming that there are 70 million repositories, um, if not more, 
uh, I did 70 million times 228 kilobytes, and that led me to about 15.96 terabytes. That would be just empty repos sitting on GitHub with no change history at all and no files. Yeah, it's an insane amount of data. And you're talking about, and this is where, you know, how they lose that money. It's just millions of dollars every month in server fees. And that's, it, that is one of those things that's a real driving cost in here. Um, data is the new bacon. I remember seeing some of the shirts like that. I kind of thought it was funny because that's really where it is, is having all this data, having all this uh, stuff on there. But putting it somewhere costs money. Is is exponentially cheaper as hard drives were a year ago or two years ago or 10 years ago. We're also creating data at a scale quicker than the hard drives are getting cheaper. So that's how these companies end up losing money. <laughs> that's it. You know, hosting all that data. And then, of course, the transport of the data. So there's always two costs. You have the, well, three. You have the compute time. You have the transport cost to get the data from my computer to GitHub. And then you have the storage fees of actually holding on to the data. And then who manages all this data? There has to be a NOC team and a set of engineers who yep. who monitor this and go replace failed drives. Yep. And, and then uh, what about... Um, transferring all of these files to other servers and creating some sort of uh, high availability setup. Yep, and having multiple data centers because you can't just have it in one location. So now everything I just said gets times two, <laughs> at least. Um, and then some companies even just uh, do a distributed data center where they're going to have that data replicated across data centers and are going to use the geographically closest one to you for when you do the pull request because you got to remember GitHub is global. Um, it's not just a U.S. thing. So for the, you know, we, I know we have our listeners outside the U.S. who are going, yeah, we know that already. But you know, just a reminder for U.S. listeners: U.S. is only four point seven percent of the population in the world. <laughs> There's a lot of other people out there. So this is a very large distributed project. It's it's huge. That being said, there's a lot of cost involved. So. It worries me that a company like that could go out of business because where where would that leave us with all these projects? Phil, here's a quick question for you. How many things have you wrote that literally pull from GitHub and a URL? Far too many. <laughs> if GitHub were to not be there, how many things would break? <laughs> uh, of of my own, um, quite a bit. That would be a sad, sad day. Yeah, and of the other 70 million people... You know, <laughs> so you thought that the Node.js left pad issue uh, <laughs> from from some time ago was bad. That this this would be that times a million, seventy million actually, times seventy million exactly. Because <laughs> uh, many of us, uh, GitHub has a really slick system. This is one of those things that they got right, uh, where they can set absolute URLs, so I can specifically pull from my project and get the latest version of my project with a Git command and a script. So I even one of the tools we use here is our shred tool, and it goes out to Git to find its latest version. So there's a million other tools because there's maybe 70 million developers, but developers develop many projects. So the number of projects scales exponentially up. So we're just talking 70 million just to developers. If the average developer does a dozen projects, that alone puts you in, in a staggering number of projects on here. So this has a lot of expenses with it. And this is kind of what we're getting at is someone has to be the steward of all this. Now, companies like Microsoft or even companies like Google, Google, um, for example, and we're going to digress a little bit, but like YouTube would be an example of where Google no doesn't separate the numbers for YouTube for a reason. YouTube is also is not just a website where we watch videos. YouTube is also a statistics gathering engine for the YouTube ad team. That being said, GitHub is also 
Microsoft could lose money all day on GitHub as long as they encourage you. And no doubt we're going to see some level of integration. Hey, publish this project directly to Azure. It's only four ninety nine a month to run a serverless blah 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 Node.js system and whatever that fee is. They because they have a back end fee, they can uh, absorb losses on GitHub of code and all the hosting we do on there. So whether you like that or not is subjective, but reality is someone's got to pay for all that server time. And it's coming. Don't fool yourself. Oh, you yeah, will I'm sure see, they'll do that. You will see that button sooner than later. Yes. There will undoubtedly be a post to Azure button. <laughs> they actually, uh, we covered, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember the episode number, but if you type in uh, serverless Azure, we covered this. Uh, they have that integration in Azure already that you can type in your GitHub and it will pull it into Azure. Now it's going to be able to push it from GitHub and Azure. Right now you got to pull from Azure. Azure will pull from GitHub and other repositories. I could picture turning the other way around. Now you can push to Azure. But thinking from the developer perspective, this this makes a lot of sense. If if I'm a developer who doesn't know anything about system administration and all I want to do is push button run code, fantastic. Yeah. I I I would pay a couple bucks for that. Yeah, and a lot of people have. Uh, they in it's a buzzword I'm less than a fan of because nothing is truly serverless. But uh, if the term you're looking for is serverless, for example, um, companies offer serverless instances of WordPress. And what serverless means is you don't have to think about the hardware, you don't have to think about capacity planning, you didn't think about spinning up a Linux box to run WordPress. You go, I just want WordPress, and that's it. And it's because it's a very common open source project. You can do those, and that's a lot of what uh, where Azure makes their money is selling you, you know, serverless services, or you just want to write the code and not think about the box it runs on, and that's valid. Um, someone still is working the magic behind the scenes, so there's still some DevOps people making it all happen. That's why I don't like the term serverless. It's still a server. Agreed. <laughs> it's still things have to happen. Those people have to exist. It's not like you can just do this and nothing happens. But that being said, so your worries, I think, should be less at all about uh, stealing code or stealing that, more about how much is this going to cost to host and can I host it somewhere else? That's where I worry about GitHub is interoperability with hosting on other cloud systems. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. Uh, the ethos of GitHub is I can copy all the code right to my computer. And I don't think any of that's going to change or they would lose that user base to one of the alternatives. And while we're on that topic, let's start moving into the alternatives because they're not the only game in town, GitHub. Yeah, um, I mean, you can always just host your own Git server. Yes. That is not going to change. And the folks at uh, GitLab, I believe, make that pretty easy, don't they? Yes. Uh, GitLab offers a a push-button migration yep. from GitHub over to GitLab, and they've got a Grafana instance that pulls uh, metrics that shows the ingestion rate of projects coming in from GitHub. I was watching that the other day. I thought it was pretty interesting. And they were really on it. So uh, Monday morning, you know what they posted? A video of how to migrate. <laughs> oh, good good, good, they good a, for their business. They had a migration tutorial. They um, have been working very hard because that's, that's a one nice thing about open source. Now, I know there's a lot of people who I think were the large panickers because they were bragging about the uptick in uh, thousands of repositories pulled and things like that. That being said... Um, there are a couple of major announcements. I believe GNOME, uh, GIMP, and I'm trying to remember a couple others have moved to GitLab now, officially. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I would be lying if I said that when uh, GitHub started throwing um, uh, a, a couple errors in my browser, I 
immediately thought, okay, Microsoft broke it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know we want we want to really throw them under the bus for it as much as much as we can. You know, that's hating on Microsoft, but to the extent you do have to remain rational and calmer heads will prevail, as they always say. Uh, but what you know, there's a lot of different alternatives. Like I said, Git is the protocol. GitLab, GitHub, these are plays on words because they're companies that uh, embrace, you know, so you don't have to run your own Git server. You can just host uh, host code with them. Matter of fact, GitLab has actually gone a step further, and they've offered some premium features that they used to charge for for free. I'm, I'm back and forth on how I feel about that. I mean, I see the Linux community excited about it. I also mentally, because I'm a business owner, go, you can only give so much stuff away for free before you end up in the same situation GitHub was in going, how much money can we lose? And we need the next round of VC funding or we're not going to make it. And we've seen companies over the past do this. They give away too much for free and then they kind of fade away. As far as GitHub alternatives go, um, we found a really super helpful list from a guy named Ian Channing, I-A-N-C-H-A-N-N-I-N-G. And his repository is called awesome-github-alternatives. Yes. So I'm just going to go through a couple of these because it's it's quite an extensive list. Um, so this is from the uh, self-hosted category. There's Bitbucket, which has a free and paid option. So you can host your own Bitbucket server, or you can pay Atlassian to host it for you. Um, Bitbucket's based in Java. I've run that software for a long time. Um, SourceForge. Um, I guess that wouldn't be self-hosted. Maybe that was a, a copy-paste issue on my part. Let's not talk about SourceForge. All right, well, well you know, moving on. You know what? I will briefly mention them. If you don't know the, the life cycle of SourceForge, who used to host all of our code before GitHub came along, uh, SourceForge demise was kind of this kind of like no one bought them. So they had this in great idea. They would just embed spyware in all of their software, and that was their quick demise on what – it was one of those shifts in the market because I didn't think anyone would leave SourceForge, but <laughs> but it was one of those things. This is what happened for those of you that – this is a little brief history. They decided to, if you compiled your software under and you had executables, they would embed spyware and on crap and junkware and toolbars right in the stuff. That's how they, that's how they fell apart. 2003 called they want their garbage executable practices back yeah so all those little <laughs> things are kind of what made SourceForge. plus they had a god so many scammy ads on there so you'd try to download or download the file you're looking for it was just it was a complete disaster but i understand where they're coming from you could host things free on SourceForge. next thing you know they ran out of money so like i got a money idea <laughs> let's cram crap with people so github didn't go that route they just sold to microsoft which well, anyways. And speaking of Microsoft, uh, in this list, there was also CodePlex. And CodePlex was a uh, Microsoft product that says a free open source code hosting service. It lets you create projects, each of which get a domain, um, much like GitHub pages. So what happened with CodePlex, Tom? Do you remember that? <sighs> Microsoft just said, you know, we tried doing what GitHub done, and GitHub did it better. So they... I don't. I, I don't say they ever admit defeat, <laughs> but we, we will say that Codeplex what? <laughs> and they're using Git internally, by the way. Episode two fifty six. <laughs> There's also uh, Git T. It's a community managed fork of Gogs, and Gogs is uh, quote a painless self hosted Git service. Um, there's also Fabricator because every application your project needs is all in one tool. And then Git Bucket, which is a Git-powered 
a Git platform powered by Scala with an easy installation, high extensibility, and it has GitHub API compatibility. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. There is Rode code, R-H-O-D-E, and that is a centralized control for distributed repositories um, featuring support for Mercurial, Git, and Subversion under a single roof. Git prep, which is a uh, quote-unquote GitHub clone. Um, you can create users and repositories without limitation. This is free software. Uh, so that, that sounds interesting. Um, there's Fossil. Fossil is not using the Git protocol, um, but Fossil is, Fossil is a simple, high-reliability, distributed software configuration management system. In addition, in addition to doing distributed version control like Git and Mercurial, Fossil also provides bug tracking, wiki, and tech notes. And then there's also Garrett. Garrett is a web-based code review and repository management for the Git version control system. That's pretty neat. There's a, there's so there are alternatives. Some based on the Git protocol. Majority of them were. A couple of them weren't. Um, that being said, GitLab is kind of interesting because they offer their software stack for you to download, so you can self-host GitLab. Now, I, I mean, I me and Phil talked a little bit about this. And I know the ultimate goal, the ultimate dream system, where we can all, excuse me, where we can all contribute back would be a decentralized system where we have like a federated access so we have a shared repository but instead of the server cost being one data center we all help host the projects and i that's pie in the sky a little bit but i think it might be kind of a cool concept because if i could contribute in some way to the hosting costs of the software projects i like and contribute directly by offering I have extra server space. My servers, you know, they generally sit pretty idle uh, for the amount of horsepower we have in our own little, you know, rack. If we could host our own instance and contribute to the great compute power that's needed to run this um, and have a distributed system, then it could be free open source and no one owns it and it'd be pretty cool. Uh, I don't know how to make all that work. I'm sure there's someone screaming, but Bitcoin and Ethereum blockchain could make all this magic happen and maybe one day. I don't know that we're there today. (laughs) Hey, we could just run our own um, cryptocurrency on top of certificate transparency. There you go. <laughs> certificate. That, that, me and Phil are going to have a few more beers, and we're going to invent certificate transparency <laughs> blockchain with a cryptocurrency backend. <laughs> it's going to be an episode of Silicon Valley going on here. <laughs> Some VC will fund it, I'm I'm sure. If we hey, – <laughs> We'll call ourselves like the the buzzword blockchain. <laughs> we'll string all the words together that VCs want to hear, <laughs> and then we won't actually do any work because that's how it really works. We'll just we'll string buzzwords together. That's what we do. We make a blockchain of buzzwords. <laughs> Look, I only need to have a beach that's about one one fifth. Okay, one sixth of the size of McAfee's beach. Oh, that, yes. that's it. Just <laughs> find find me a nice, cozy tropical island. Things yes. would be great. Wouldn't be bad. And then we'll just sit around and contributing open source code and <laughs> ranting about things randomly. <laughs> 
So I think we've covered pretty much top to bottom on this. Uh, hopefully this enlightened you a little that, you know, Microsoft buying GitHub does not mean they own the Git protocol. It does not mean they own the code and that there are alternatives that we should all be cautious. And there, you know, there is a dream system and maybe it will come to fruition, but uh, we're not there yet. So uh, best case scenario is horrible if GitHub goes out of business. I'm happy someone bought them. I'm happy it's not Oracle. I guess Microsoft's okay. I mean, so I think that sums it up for us. Anything else, Phil? Yeah. Uh, always remember to apply a license to your code. And oh, yeah. to make yeah. it easy, there is chooseolicense.com. That's it allows it. you to choose an open source license, and it will help you pick something super, super easily. Yes. And all you got to do is copy and paste the results of your choices into the code, and away you go. Just like it's not hard to attach a license. It's really, really easy these days. So life life has gotten simpler in that in under those circumstances. The licenses are still complicated, but it's easy to apply one of them. Just understand which one you want. <laughs> so if you don't know anything about the Microsoft having GitHub, listen to episode 256. Uh, and this episode was all about the Gitastrophe and Microsoft buying Git. <laughs> <laughs> this is Tom Lawrence. And Phil Parada. And that's it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. If you would like more information about this or other shows, go to smlr.us. Feel free to send comments to show at smlr.us or give us a call at 734-258-7009. I'm John Miller. If you don't like it, you can bite my 8-bit metal ass. That's bite with a Y. <laughs>